You're listening to This Old Tree, the show about heritage trees and the human stories behind them. I'm Doug Still. The Survivor Tree is a calorie pear tree that was rescued from the rubble at Ground Zero about a month after the 9-11 terrorist attack. It was a ragged trunk when they found it, but it was nursed back to health by New York City Parks Department horticulturalists and eventually planted back at the site as part of the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. It has been visited by literally millions of people who've come to pay their respects and remember the victims of that day. The tree has become a well-known and stirring symbol of resilience and survival. But what few people remember is that there were six other trees rescued from the site and transplanted in early October of 2001. I know because I was part of the team that found them. I was with Bram Gunther, my friend, and at the time, my boss within the city's Central Forestry and Horticulture Division. Coming up, I recount with him the day we visited the World Trade Center site, what we saw, how and where these remarkable trees were moved, and what has become of them. Thanks for joining in. I'm your host, Doug Still, and this is This Old Tree. This old tree Standing here for more than four centuries Wonder what you'd say if you could talk to me About what it's like to be this old tree So yeah, I was a New Yorker for many years before I moved to Providence in 2005. Everyone that lived in the city on 9-11 has their own story from that day, where they were, and how they were affected. There was so much trauma and tragedy, and all of us were shocked and shaken. But I remember having a funny feeling in the days and weeks following the attacks, even as reality sunk in for the families who lost loved ones, as first responders continued to risk their lives searching through the rubble and securing the site for our city, and crews put their health on the line, clearing debris. An inconsequential feeling to anyone but me, perhaps. But to be honest, I didn't know anyone directly affected by the terrorist attack or involved in the ensuing recovery efforts. New York is a big city, and frankly, all I could do was follow the events on TV and on the radio. I lived in Brooklyn and worked in Queens, and frankly, I don't think I even set foot in Manhattan for weeks. I remember sort of feeling like a spectator, a feeling that stopped short of guilt, but was definitely a sense of disconnect. I remember attending a professional conference for the Society of Municipal Arborists late that September in the Midwest, and in a touching moment, the whole assembly stood and applauded for me, recognizing that I was from New York City and to show their solidarity. It was a wonderful thing to do, and I recognized that it wasn't really about me, but all I could think was, I didn't do anything, I don't deserve this. But when I got home, a small, small chance to contribute something appeared. Here's my interview with Bram Gunther as we recall our visit to Ground Zero. It's October 11th, 2022, and I'm in New York City with my friend and former boss, Bram Gunther. Thank you for being here today, Bram. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I think we last saw each other in person at a conference in Los Angeles about 10 years ago. I can't remember what the conference was, but we escaped a few sessions or one session anyway, went to your room, and you brought out a little folding guitar. 
that you travel with and that you want to <laughs> sing me a song or two. You remember that? I do. <laughs> and that guitar is now here in this apartment as it was given to my son. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're now in Bram's son's apartment in New York City in the Upper West Side. And um, it's nice to be back in New York. And it's nice to see you. But we're here today to reconstruct and remember our visit to the World Trade Center site about a month after 9-11, almost exactly 21 years ago. I don't remember exactly what the date was, but it was probably about four weeks or so, um, to look at some trees that were reported to have survived. At that time, I was the deputy director of street tree planting in the Central Forestry Division of the New York City Parks Department, and you were... I had originally said I was the deputy director of the whole division, but now I'm thinking I was probably the director and Fiona was the chief. You were the director at the time. Yeah. and uh, well, But we had a management team that worked very closely, not only on tree planting and increasing the city's tree canopy, but on a lot of projects that had broader impact on the urban forest. Um, it included Fiona Watt, who was the chief of forestry, Jennifer Greenfeld, who ran the New York Tree Trust at the time, and she is now, could you repeat her title? She is the deputy commissioner. And um, also Barbara Nichols, who was the director of street tree planting. Who's now dep a deputy chief. A deputy chief, great for her. But the day we went um, to the World Trade Center site was three or four weeks after 9-11, and I believe, you know, the human rescue effort had shifted more towards recovery uh, phase, and we were doing um, environmental assessment at the time. Right. And so, just looking back, we then yeah. got word, or instructions from the, the commissioner, the commissioner of parks to make a visit. Yeah, he was in, his name was Henry Stern. And he so Bram and I made our way downtown on the one train to Chambers Street and walked over to City Hall Park. And where are we located right now, Bram? We are at a triangle-shaped green space that is directly east of City Hall and at the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge from Manhattan traveling towards Brooklyn. I haven't been here in about 10 years and I am amazed at all of the um, people on the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge had some capital construction work done to it, and the walkways that were always there but were fixed up, and now this is one of the main features of the city down here. People love it. But this little triangle, it's nice to see that our living memorial trees make this triangle. Shade. There are four left, four out of six, as far as we can see. There were two planted over here, and then there we don't, we don't know what happened to them. Well, one I had heard through, when I was still at the Parks Department, I had heard that it died through Manhattan Forestry. I see. The second one I had not heard about, so it must have died in the last several years. Maybe in a storm, first one. So three of the Little Leaf Lindens are still here, and one Bradford pear. It's a calorie pear, but it's definitely a Bradford cultivar, I can tell, by the poor structure. But it's doing quite well, I have to say, left on its own. And we should say for the record that the survivor tree was a Bradford calorie pear. Prior to that, I mean, the city was in country. Gotcha. I didn't know that. State. So... 
very successful, at least, I think, you know, to have four of them left alive. Um, the plaque is gone, and there is some uh, debris here, rubble. Um, it looks like nobody knows these trees are here. They are beyond everybody's veil. Yeah, and which is very so sad to me to find out why. because these and trees, as Doug and I were discussing you know, before, are meaningful be in late, so many but ways, but except for most people, they, they don't know them or and they've been forgotten. Sort of but unlike off, many trees in the city, meant. you know, and they're not planted in pavement, they're in grass, they're protected by a fence. Pedestrians can't walk where we are, we snuck in through a hole in the fence, and... These and guys are protected. Concerned. And then I yeah, and it's pretty moving to see them, actually, because I remember them and then the day after I saw I them. And even though they were not hurt, they were in shock, you know, if I can down. use that term. Um, I do remember and here they are, living their lives out. Four of the six are here, slow, living their lives out across from City Hall. Beautiful, calm day. What would you say and there were bits of this whole project falling out of the sky? What would you say this project means to you? Do you remember what your The project of transplanting the trees here? Yes. I do. It 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 means to me on a personal level now that my mother has died and that my mother worked on the seventy seventh floor of the World Trade Center. It's partly a remembrance of her and her life, but more importantly, for me, it's a remembrance of a really, really difficult and sad time in New York City's history. And they're still here as living witnesses. Thanks for joining me today, Bram. You're welcome, it was my pleasure. Trusting, by and large. And I think I started the day at the citywide nursery and as you said before, even though our division was called Central Forestry, we are actually at that point Central Forestry and Horticulture, because recently we had taken on Horticulture to oversee operations and best practices across the city in the same way that we were both responsible for planting street trees, but also developing best practices. And in having horticulture added to the title of the division, we took upon the management of what was called the city and still is called the Citywide Nursery, which is in the northeast section of Van Cortlandt Park. And on the TV with some of the gardeners and horticulturalists there, we watched, I think, the first building go down or maybe both. And I remember just feeling sick to my stomach, in part because my mom, for 15 years, her office was on the 77th floor. So I just had this eerie feeling that if she hadn't retired a few years before, that was going to be it for her. And my oldest friend in life worked on the 70-something floor of World Trade Center, either one or two, and I was worrying about him. But instead of going home, I left the citywide nursery and made my way to our office, which was in Flushing Meadows Park in Queens, because I felt that in my position, I needed to be there right. to help sort of staff. 
both manage their feelings and manage their logistics. Right, just getting home. My yeah. partner walked from midtown Manhattan all the way across the Brooklyn Bridge mm. just to get home that day. Wow, so bridges feature in my story of that day. So I eventually went across the White Stone Bridge and I could see the flames and the smoke coming from downtown Manhattan. And I, again, I just felt physically sick. Yeah. I didn't know emotionally what to make of it yet, but physically I was sick. Yeah. I remember a lot of fear that day too, what's going to happen next. Yeah. yeah I had that fear myself, worrying that there were other targets because um, Manhattan is filled with really tall buildings, mm. not except for the Empire State Building, none really that high, but I was filled with fear too. And I should just say as a code of that story that my good friend, uh, Adam, who I'd known since birth, who worked in the World Trade Center, was perennially late. And he was typically late for work that day. And so... By that point, the first building had been hit, and he was told to just go home, and that saved his life, being late. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so. that really, really haunted me. So, it's a month later, and as I had said, they're doing environmental assessments, and this call is made from StarQuest to you. Yeah. Um, to go investigate what what can be seen down in the pit or nearby. Mm -hmm. And so you came to me and asked if I would go. And I also asked somebody else in the division to come with me, this woman who at this point had taken over from me heading up a Green Streets program, which was putting gardens in the right-of-way where there was unused space. So mass sort of, you know, public gardening program. And because I knew that there were some new green streets in the area and I wanted her to look at them to get a sense of how, if they could survive or not. What's funny about that moment is so the three of us eventually got into a Parks Department car headed from the borough of Queens down to Lower Manhattan. Right. But she was pregnant that day, and she was under strong advisement from her husband not to breathe in what we now know was chemical-laden air. Right. So she ended up staying most of the time in the vehicle. That's, that was a good warning. As you and I went into the pit. Right. Yeah. And that was the first time, after all that time, of uh, watching this on TV, that I had really gotten close. And it really um, affected me in a sort of eyes-on way, I think, a real way. We're going to take a short break. When we return, my conversation continues with Bram Gunther, the former director of Central Forestry and Horticulture in New York City, as we recount our assignment to walk into the perimeter of the pit just weeks after the World Trade Center tragedy, looking for some trees that were reported to survive. I'm Doug Still, and this is this old tree.
I remember parking near um, the church on Lower Broadway. Trinity. Trinity Church. And walking through the park there along the side of the church. And the first thing that I notice is that the trees, I think they were London plane trees, are coated with ash on one side, on the World Trade Center side of the trees, so coming from the west. And so then I can only imagine what that, that plume of debris and was like. And do you remember walking through there? I do. I remember that pretty lucidly. I remember the ash, as you've just described it. I remember the ash on one side of those trees and not the other side, which really stood out. And for some reason, my first thought when I got out of the car is this is Vesuvius. It was a volcano. And it was just our crazy, violent, terrorist version of it. And that was the only way I could make sense of it in my head. It, It looked like that. It looked like that, yeah. yeah. And so we um, we arrived at the site, and we needed hard hats and masks. And I remember the staging site, or at least one office where you, we, you got those things, was on the second floor of a building sort of right along the southeast corner of the World Trade Center site, but across the street. Um, it was a Burger King. Yes. I <laughs> so, remember that, too. And it was upstairs, and it felt like we were on the inside, right? Because the people coming in and out were the people working in the pit. But I know that I myself also felt like an outsider at the same time, because these people were there. I felt like an outsider. Right. Insider in that we were both working for the city, Right. right, And this was a city effort, and this was a city's attack on our city. So that made me, and I'm also born and raised in Manhattan, so I feel very at home in Manhattan, but an outsider when it came to the fraternity of people, fraternity, sorority of people that had been there since day one and had to experience the horrors directly right. that you and I didn't have to see. Do you remember getting clearance for that, or how did we get in? Clearance was given to us through the commissioner's office at the Parks Department with the other agency, I can't remember which agency it was, that was mainly responsible for coordinating. And it could have been DCAS which stands for the Department of Citywide Services, I think. Okay. But it could have been another sort of overarching agency. And they checked us on a ledger as we were headed upstairs to the second floor of the Burger King. So then we descended. Yeah, we went into the, so we went into the pit. Yeah. And we were right near, was that building number seven with the plaza? That had the trees? It's Oh, you mean where we found the trees? Yes. It might have been Building 7, but it was on mm-hmm. the northeast side, and we entered on the southern side. And we walked through the pit. And I can't obviously speak for you, but we were not talking to each other then, partly because we had gas masks mm-hmm. on. 
but I remember looking, leaning over and looking into the pit. I didn't see any human remains. We were walking along the edge of the pit. We were walking along the edge of the pit. Yeah. But I remember seeing the remains of all the things that had been in the way, including these two buildings, which had featured in my life, as I mentioned, because my mom worked there. Right. And then getting this, you know, understanding that there were human remains there just a few days ago. I think they were still there. We just didn't see them directly. And again, feeling so sick to my stomach and not understanding what what to make of this, except that I had a purpose. We both had a purpose. And that the more I focused on that purpose, the easier it was to manage my emotions when I was there. Yeah, I think there was little talking when we walked out. It felt very, very solemn. Yeah. Um, the seriousness of the event really took hold again, yeah. you know, going there in person. And we saw these trees. Yeah. We saw some green. Yeah. Unbelievably enough, we did. There were six. There were six trees. And I remember thinking when we first got to the trees, and so we were a little bit away from the epicenter of the pit, if I can put it that way. Right. And I kept, but my first thought was, if I had been on the plaza at that moment and I was hugging one of these trees, I probably would have survived because these trees were unscathed. Don't know why that thought came to my head, but I have never forgotten that. Yeah, that's what you thought. Yeah. Three pears and three little leaf lindens as ID'd by you. Because I could, I could gotcha. tell the pears, but, and I knew they were lindens, but I wasn't good enough with my tree identification. So we identified three calorie pear trees and three little leaf linden trees that were in the plaza. Yeah, they're, I mean, they have very similar leaves, and there they were standing among the rubble. Mm-hmm. And I remember the building sort of, part of the frontage of the building was still there, mm-hmm. um, but sort of jagged. Yep. Or mauled is the word that I had used to myself then. The building has been mauled. Um, again, not sure why that word popped up. But but it was incredible that the, the, the trees weren't snapped. You know, <laughs> that nothing had fallen on them. Yeah. They just withstood this incredible billowing yep. of air and ash and debris that the trees a few blocks away at Trinity Church had absorbed, or at least the sides of them had. Or the other trees on the plaza that were disintegrated, and yet these trees were okay. Right. And of all the shrapnel, if that's the right word, of the explosion also didn't hit these six particular trees. They just flew around or over or past it, but these guys were okay. Now, the survivor tree that was grown at the nursery and transplanted to the memorial site now, we didn't see that tree. Not on that day, no. That tree was discovered by some landscape architects. I don't know if they were park, Hmm. parks landscape architects, or not, I can't remember, but some landscape architects who discovered it, and I eventually saw it, and it was mangled. And when I first saw it, I said, there's no way we can resuscitate this tr- uh, this right. decapitated tree. 
but it had taken on a lot of meeting to a set of people that were working in the pit day after day, and a colleague at Parks Department who had been there had volunteered his time, so he had been there regularly, said, please, you got to do something. And they were only appealing to me because very recently we had gotten the citywide nursery That's to right, manage. That's right, up in the Bronx. So we, which is where I had started my day on 9-11. Right. So we suddenly had the resources where eight months ago we were not managing the citywide nursery, so it would never have come to me. Uh, but it did, and how can I deny that, right? We would do our best. And I remember the day it was sort of taken out, it was sort of soldered, and I think, I don't know if it was literally, but it was the concrete or the brick of the building or whatever it was, the material had sort of made, it is integrated or assimilated into the trunk of the tree. <clears throat> so Incredible. we had to cut it apart. And then it went up to the citywide nursery and oh, the, the men and the women at the citywide nursery, they understood the meaning of this tree and boy, did they give it some TLC. Now that was after the, the six had been transplanted yeah. near City Hall. If I remember <clears throat> the cor chronology correctly, it was after we had uh, taken out and transplanted the six trees that you and I found. So it's funny, now, that nowadays we would have had our phones out, we would have taken pictures of all of this. We did not carry cell phones yeah. in 2001. Right. At least I didn't. Um, I didn't either. Yeah. We had beepers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Um, so all of this is just relegated to our memory, really. Um, but I also think there was a prohibition against photographs in the pit. Anyway. I see. I can't say that for sure, but I'm pretty sure I remembered correctly that, you know, people with cameras were just asked to leave their cameras. And this is where my memory really begins to fail me. At what point did we think we could save those trees, we could move those trees? Was it right on site? Was it during the drive back? Was it doing a um, debrief when we returned to the office? It's a very good question, and I don't have a definitive answer. Yeah. I do know that you and I looked at each other when we saw those trees, and it was a look of recognition that these trees, at this moment in time when we were looking at them, seemed okay. But I don't remember when the decision was made definitively, but it was soon, right? because we had to act. Maybe we didn't. You know, maybe it was someone else, that, or, or it was part of a discussion later right. that the trees could be transplanted right. but um mostly we reported that they were alive and right. and that went relatively back. intact right and that message went back to henry stern aka starquest so my sense is that you and i have probably said to each other i bet you these trees are okay but he definitely said move them mm-hmm Gotcha. And so we had to find a site soon after for them to go to. And so how did that develop? I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I cannot remember who identified, and it could have been me, but I don't know, this triangle directly east of City Hall uh, at the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge as a place for these trees to go. I remembered vaguely that there was a tree 
planted in that site as a memorial, a remembrance to the Oklahoma City bombing. So perhaps the person who suggested that that memorial tree go in that spot made the connection with the trees that were going right. to come from World Trade Center, but I don't remember exactly how that spot was chosen. But it was. And it had meaning because it was right across from City Hall, so it was sort of remembering both the history of the city and then this incredible, horrifying, unique moment. Now, were you in charge of organizing that planting? I was. I was in charge through the power that I had at the Parks Department that oversaw, in general, green spaces and policy for trees. Didn't mean that the Parks Department managed all the public trees, mm-hmm. but we were the ones who sort of set policy. But I was, it was done through the, te- the removal of the trees, the moving of them from the west side to the east side, mm-hmm. And the planting of them was done through an existing contract through the agency that was in charge of this whole effort. I see. So it wasn't a Parks Department contractor. It was not. But so it was their contract. I was just there to supervise because I knew enough uh, about what, what it would take to take the trees out and increase the potential that they would survive and what they needed on the other end. So I was there supervising in that capacity. Were they planted by November? Do you remember? Oh, absolutely by November. So it was by the end of October. I think it was actually mid-October. That moved pretty quickly. It moved very quickly because we we were up against the deadline, I remember, because they wanted to take, first of all, they thought, Building 7, if it was Building 7, but I think you are right. It was either Building 7 or 5. Okay. <clears throat> People thought it might fall down at any moment. Right. Um, and if it didn't, they were going to take it down anyway. So we were under a deadline to get those trees out. So I remember working relatively quickly. So I think it was mid, second or third week of October, and we, was, we were told by StarQuest, right. move quickly. Was there a ceremony? There was not a ceremony the day that we transplanted them, but there was there was a ceremony soon after because the commissioner started a program called Living Memorials. You know, and at this point, if you, you the audience, and I remember, the mayor then was Mayor Giuliani, but... In the election in November, it transferred to Mayor Bloomberg, Mayor Michael Bloomberg. But Giuliani had initially petitioned, first for a whole other term, because he had said, look, this started on my watch. At that point, he was known as America's mayor. And so he was arguing that he needed another term to manage this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bloomberg said no, but he did say yes to delaying taking office. I don't remember how long. But the Living Memorial ultimately was under Bloomberg, 
And that's that there was some celebration at some point. I don't remember when it was. Gotcha. Yeah, that was something I was not involved in. Although I think you were there for the event. Or maybe not. I was not. Okay. Yeah. And it was within then the, the parks department's responsibility to care for the trees after and water them and make sure that they survived. Yes, yes. And let me just backtrack a little bit, because just because I think it's an interesting part of the story. Uh, tree spades were used. These were not huge trees, but we, me, but, and other people we were talking to determined that this was going to be the best way to transplant them. And so the concrete and the rubble was dug out around it, and then the tree spade which I had never seen before, performed before. I knew they existed. So they had a backhoes that came in yeah. and sort of cleared a path for the spade, a truck with a spade to get in. That's right. And, and dig them out. That's right. Um, and I, it was the first time I had seen directly with my own eyes a tree spade in action. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and then the other part that I remember is as the truck was leaving, the truck that was carrying these six trees, the people in the pit that had been working and saw this whole thing started both cheering and crying. Wow. And I started crying myself. I was in the back of the truck. Oh, no, I was in a parked vehicle following the truck. And then it left, and I had so impressed upon these contractors were not that were not landscape contractors, right? Right. Um, I had impressed upon them so much that if you know windburn and being gentle, and that so they drove from the west side of downtown Manhattan to the east side of downtown Manhattan at five miles an hour, and they, we were just going so slowly, and I think they were so worried that the trees that they had just taken out with a tree spade were then going to die on their watch in the truck. So they just went five miles an hour, and I was sort of laughing to myself. Well, I guess they really heard me. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do carry that authority. I did at that moment in time, yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Can you describe what it was like when the trees were planted? We get to the site, and there's clearly enough space for these trees. Do you remember how big they were? Do you remember the size? I'm not sure I remember. They must have been 12 or 14 feet tall. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right to me. And we laid them out. I demanded everything was done by hand. Uh, And so they were digging these pits. And I remember, it's a little tangent, but it's worth telling, that this one, probably was a gardener title, He was so strong and he worked so quickly that he ended up digging these huge pits. We're talking, you know, 12 to 14 feet tree that can have a pretty reasonable sized, uh, you know, root ball. And he dug them all by himself because he just was that good at it. And I had demanded that it be, as I said, be done by hand. I was just so nervous. So when the last tree was being put in the ground, and we were filling the tree pit with soil. We all said a kind of prayer to ourselves, not out loud, around that last tree. And then they were in the ground. The 
the survivor tree that we all know now, um, which was almost basically a stump right. that was taken out, and that was not plantable. That um, was not at all. And as you described, had become a favorite among the workers there. That was brought to the Bronx, to the nursery. Yep. And planted? It was at first, I don't, since I wasn't in charge of its rehabilitation, I think at first it was brought into a greenhouse and they tended to it I see. in whatever way they did. But ultimately, it was planted in an open spot. Once they saw that there was some life left in it and it was growing again, it was planted in a very certain spot. And then they put, they put up their own handmade memorial sign in front of it. It's probably mid-fall sometime they brought it in, put, had it in a greenhouse. Yeah. Perhaps for the winter. Could be. I can't guarantee you that I remember that exactly. Who was in charge at that time? There was a man named Bobby Zapala, who was an incredible horticulturalist. And his, one of the workers on the staff was a man named Richie Cabo, who was my friend um, and ultimately took over for Bobby when he retired. And those two men in particular really They're the took ones responsibility that, right. for that tree. And uh, How long did it stay up at the nursery? 12 to 15 years. I could be off a few years, maybe it was So 10. at least a decade. At least a decade, yeah. It needed it a lot there. of TLC, right? Um, but it, so it was at least a decade, and city officials, by and large, forgot about it. We had not, uh, because it became, you know, a symbol of sort of hope and reparation for us. Because right. the tree just loved the TLC that it was getting. But at one point, the 9-11 memorial, which, had, which was a, both an organization as well as a sort of museum, but it was mainly an organization to put the pieces of that day and that time together yeah, for that history. That took some time. That took some time. Yeah. They found out, I don't remember how, they found out that the tree was up at the citywide nursery, and they reached out to the then commissioner, who I think was Adrian Benepe at the time, and said, look, we would like have it come back to the plaza. We're almost done repairing it. And even though it was hard for the people at the citywide nursery to let it go, they understood that that's where it needed to be. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And it's become world famous, really. The survivor tree. Numerous stories about it. And I just hope people don't forget the six trees that we found. I think most people have forgotten them, which is why we're bringing them back to life now yes. through this interview. That survivor tree became so popular. I think at one point I had counted that there was over 50 requests for interviews, but everyone forgot about those six other trees. When we return from another short break, I ask Bram what these 9-11 survivor trees mean to the city of New York and people in general, and then we describe what we saw when we went downtown to visit them. This is This Old Tree.
people find most inspiring about the survivor tree and by extension these other six trees? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Humans have turned to plant life, but in particular trees, throughout our existence to help us memorialize traumatic or happy things in our life that we want the, the generations beyond us to remember. They span the generations. That's right. So I think that is sort of built into us historically. I'm not going to say genetically, yes. but historically. So there was that. It's remembrance, physical, tangible remembrance, spanning the generations, as you just said. And I think what's different about these is that they weren't planted as memorial trees. They were survivors. Yep. They were actual trees at the site right. and made it through. And I think that's inspiring. Yeah, that I don't need to add to that. Yeah. I think the fact that they were survivors was incredibly important to the people, to the city in general, and especially the people who had been toiling in the pit. And they, even though we could not speak their language, the fact that they had witnessed and survived was extremely and emotionally important to the city of New York. And, I, and then ultimately the world. I was thinking about this on the drive-in today, and there's another aspect of it, I think, that intrigues people, and that's just sort of the randomness of it. Yeah. Sort of the beauty of randomness. Yeah. And that they could have been crushed, but they weren't. You know, we right. think of other big tragedies or events where some people made it through and yeah. others didn't. Yeah. Or some things survived it, and but yeah. were most, you know, like airplane accidents or something right. like that. Right. And it's always remarkable. I think, to think about that. And so I think these trees yeah. kind of fit that mold in a way. Like, wow, how did they survive that? I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, and don't really have anything to add to it, yeah. but it is, it's a strong feeling to want to support survivors. One thing um, that throughout my career, you know, I planted and overseen the planting of tens of thousands of trees. And as you know, urban trees have a, have a tough life. <laughs> um, just every day, yep. um, surviving the compaction and salt and vandalism and cars running into them. Every once in a while, we lose one of the trees we plant. Yep. And it's always satisfying to, you know, incredibly rewarding to plant trees and see them grow. But there's sort of an extra bit of reward when every once in a while a tree gets run over yep. and there's a stump. But then it starts to put out sprouts. Yep. And the initial reaction is, oh, we need to replace that tree with a new tree. And right. get a contractor and plant and spend money and select the tree. Um, but every once in a while, prune one of the sprouts, train it into a leader. Yep and let that same organism live. Yep. And it's amazing to see how well they do when you do that because mm -hmm. the root system's alive. Yep. It wants to grow and 
there are many trees that developed into mature trees yeah. in that way. And there's like this extra little bit of satisfaction with those that I find. Like, oh, that's one that we trained yeah. from a stump sprout. You're right. There's a little bit of that going on here too, I think. Just that it was there were trees from our perspective, yeah. maybe not the general public, but from our perspective that we saved them. Yeah, well, especially related to the survivor tree, that what you just described was relevant in that we did take the sprouts from the stump that came to us a few weeks after 9-11 and I think grew out a hundred little babies from it. I'm sure some of them are still there at the Citywide Nursery, but we eventually gave out some of those babies to other places across the world, and I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten about this part, that had also experienced national traumas and wanted this survivor tree as a way to remember and memorialize their trauma. So many of those trees went out. Some of them just went to the 9-11 memorial. And... Uh, the other part I wanted to add when I was coming down here thinking about the interview, too, is that I consider trees Earth's, Earth's greatest living creatures. And I've always felt that. And there is something about uh, an organism that big, that long-lived, which is partly why humans are so intrigued by whales, just as an example, or elephants. You and I have that towards trees. Uh, and so the fact that they already hold such an incredible place, at least for people like you and I, in our sense of the world and the sense of the biology and the diversity of the world, to be able to have those trees to speak for us, so to speak, was really moving for me. So I'm really interested in going downtown and seeing these trees after all this time. Me too. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. Okay, let's go. So Bram and I made our way downtown on the one train to Chambers Street and walked over to City Hall Park. And where are we located right now, Bram? We are at a triangle-shaped green space that is directly east of City Hall and at the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge from Manhattan traveling towards Brooklyn. I haven't been here in about 10 years and I am amazed at all of the um, people on the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge had some capital construction work done to it and the walkways that were always there but were fixed up and now this is one of the main features of the city down here. People love it. But this little um, triangle it's nice to see <laughs> living memorial. that our living memorial trees make this triangle. There are four left, four out of six. Yep. We, don't, we don't know what happened to them. Well, one I had heard through, when I was still at the Parks Department, I had heard that it died through Manhattan Forestry. I see. The second one I had not heard about, so it must have died in the last several years. So three of the Little Leaf Lindens are still here and one Bradford pear. It's a calorie pear, but it's definitely a Bradford cultivar, I can tell, by the poor structure. But it's doing quite well, I have to say, left on its own. 
And we should say for the record that the survivor tree was a Bradford calorie pear. So very successful at least, I think, you know, to have four of them left alive. Um, the plaque is gone. Yeah. And there is some uh, debris here. Yeah. Rubble. Um, it looks like nobody knows these trees are here. They are beyond everybody's veil. Yeah. Which is very sad to me because these trees, as Doug and I were discussing before, are meaningful in so many ways. But for, except for most people, they, they don't know them or they've been forgotten. But unlike many trees in the city, you know, they're not planted in pavement. They're in grass. They're protected by a fence. Pedestrians can't walk where we are. We snuck in through a hole in the fence. These guys are protected. Yeah, and it's pretty moving to see them, actually, because I remember them the day after I saw them. And even though they were not hurt, they were in shock, if I can use that term. And here they are, living their lives out. Four of the six are here, living their lives out across from City Hall. What would you say this project means to you? The project of transplanting the trees here? Yes. It, 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 it means to me, on a personal level, now that my mother has died, and that my mother worked on the 77th floor of the World Trade Center. It's partly a remembrance of her and her life, but more importantly for me, it's a remembrance of a really, really difficult and sad time in New York City's history. And they're still here as living witnesses. Thanks for joining me today, Bram. You're welcome, it was my pleasure. Bram later clarified that the site we visited was called the Living Memorial, and there was one each in the five boroughs created during the Bloomberg administration. The Manhattan site had, of course, these first 9-11 survivor trees planted within it. Keeping it real, our happiness at seeing the four remaining trees again and how healthy and vital they still were was mixed with some disappointment that they were unmarked and seemingly forgotten next to the busy, never-ending flow of people, bikes, and cars. Since our visit, the Parks Department has cleaned up the site, fixed the fence, and is reinstalling a sign that had been misplaced, which is great news. I hope everyone will go see the trees. Back then, and as a department, we were able to make one small positive contribution, I feel. Just as the survivor tree is a symbol of endurance and the spirit of life, so are the four remaining first 9-11 survivor trees still standing near City Hall and the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge. To Bram and I and the others who are part of their rescue, these trees are symbols of something extra, our human connection. Before ending the show today, I have two Tree Story Shorts for you. These are three to four minute audio stories submitted by listeners who want to talk about an interesting tree that is important to them, past or present. The first is from my friend Thomas Padilla, the host of the My Favorite Trees podcast. It's great. Check it out. 
Thomas takes us to Yosemite National Park in California, where he learned to appreciate an unexpected tree. Hi, my name is Thomas. I'm a podcast host and seasonal park ranger. In the summer of 2021, I was working in Kings Canyon National Park in California, but in October of that year, I had to be evacuated due to the KNP complex fire. I was temporarily relocated to nearby Yosemite National Park, which was exciting for me because I had never been there. And one of the days I was there, I was exploring Yosemite Valley and enjoying the yellow-gold shade of the fall season, and I saw a pop of orange-red in the corner of my eye. And this made me stop in my tracks because I realized I was looking at this beautiful sugar maple. And I love sugar maples personally because they were the first trees I ever learned how to identify. But this tree in particular surprised me because sugar maples don't naturally grow anywhere west of the Great Plains. And I was thousands of miles from this tree's native forest. And I wondered what on earth this tree was doing so far from home, and later learned that this tree, this sugar maple, was a remnant of one of this valley's past lives. California's gold rush in the mid-19th century brought waves of settlers who explored the Sierra Nevada mountains, but instead of finding gold, some found the most beautiful glacially carved valleys in the world, and decided to settle there. And where protected meadows now exist, a western frontier town had once taken over Yosemite Valley, and the townspeople took to making a comfortable life for themselves. This included planting non-native trees. In many cases, they planted fruit trees like apple trees, and these would feed their families. But in other cases, settlers planted trees that simply reminded them of the home that they had left behind, including this sugar maple that stands just opposite the Yosemite Chapel. And yes, it's in a national park, and it's a species that's not native to the valley. But it's not invasive, it's not doing any harm to the natural environment around it. And so, the national park lets it thrive because it's now a cultural resource. It helps tell the story of this amazing place, all the different versions that this place has been. And I was very happy to see that that story was protected, while also adding an extra touch of unexpected beauty to an already beautiful place. Thanks, Thomas. I must have walked right past that tree the last time I was in Yosemite. The next story is from Walt Warner, and birds make their way into his story. Walt lives on the island of Hawaii, and he essentially lives in a rainforest. If you listen closely, you can hear the sound of the rain in the background. Hi, my name is Walt Warner. I'm a consulting urban forester, and I work primarily in California. But I grew up in Hawaii, and that's where I first became inspired to become an urban forester and work with nature. Where I live in a little place called Kahalu, it's up against the Ko'olau Mountains, and across the stream, uh, right out my back door, is pretty much a rainforest, but there is specifically one stand of trees that are Java plum trees. And they've all grown together and they've become one gigantic organism. The trees stand about 85 feet tall. They have a canopy spread or a total spread of probably 100 feet plus. And they're surrounded by, at the base of the trees, they're surrounded by California grass. It's a tall grass that gets to be about six feet, seven feet tall. It's very thick grass. 
And then uh, there's also another plant called the shampoo ginger. It's a ginger plant. It's, a, it's very aggressive, and it just takes over everything. And then in the canopy, the canopy itself is made up of probably 35, 40% of split-leaf monstera. That's a philodendron. A lot of times people use it as a house plant. But when it's planted and growing in the wild, it will creep up a tree and it'll eventually take over the entire tree. And the taller the, the, the vine grows up to the higher parts of the tree, the larger the leaves get. Now this monstera is exceptionally attractive because it's variegated, so it's green and yellow. And it's always putting on a show at some time of the year or another. Another thing about this tree is there's probably, I don't know, 50, 70, 80, 100 birds that live in this tree. See them flying in and out all the time. And uh, it's quite the busy tree, especially since uh, in the surrounding area, some of the trees have been cut down and you can see the birds flying around and now they've started to make their home in the big Java plum across the stream. But it was this tree that I look at all the time that uh, reminds me of why I do what I do and why I love trees because trees can do anything. And this guy here just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's taken on tons of weight with this Monstera, but doesn't care and it keeps growing. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. The big Java plum. Thank you, Walt. And thank you, tree lovers, for joining in and listening to the show. An extra big thanks is in order for Graham Gunther for our conversation and remembrance of finding the first 9-11 survivor trees back in 2001. You can connect with us via Facebook or Instagram to see photos of the trees we talk about here on the show and to get regular updates. You can also visit the website at thisoldtree.show. I'm Doug Still, and you've been listening to This Old Tree. See you next time. This old tree Standing here for more than four centuries Wonder what you'd say if you could talk to me About what it's like to be this old tree Shadow and shade Kids down the block are selling lemonade Send them down a cool breeze, a sweet cascade Tailor-made by this old tree Sixteen hundred, you were just a seed